with me, surely in mercies of my life. And I, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Danielle. Now, replacing that is always tenuous, in case it rolls off and falls in the middle of the service. It's a privilege to be preaching this morning and to line up the sections of Scripture that are to be read. You can see the themes that have rolled through already from Ezekiel into the Psalms, and I just want to have our section of Scripture read to follow that up immediately. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So pray with me as we come before the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd. And even, Lord, as we are sheep and we are prone to wander, you are the one who delights to leave the 99 and come and seek us out. Such that there is no one who is too small. There is no one who is too different. There is no one who is too outside of your mercy and your grace and even, Lord, your love. So as we consider your word this morning, Father, shape us. Knock down the parts of our hearts that are resistant. Regrow the parts of our heart that are dead. Strengthen and embolden the parts of our heart which are too cowardly to look your grace in the face and consider its implications for our lives. And Lord, heal us and bring us back home again to you, to our Father, by your Holy Spirit. It's in your name that we pray all of this, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the series that we're leaning into now is one considering this idea of mission. As we look ahead to having a missions conference or kind of a consolidated weekend where we're going to be... um, having the privilege of meeting with some of the missionaries that we support, and then just reevaluating and rethinking what mission means more globally and how we then engage that as a local church and as a local people. We're working through this process. Uh, Last week we looked at and considered this idea of how Jesus' mission reorients ours and then rightly sets us onto the path of what it means to follow him wisely and carefully. And then over the next weeks we're going to look at uh, this call to mission which involves prayer, which involves giving, and then also involves going. And we'll be breaking those down one by one. But this morning, what we're going to be focusing on is prayer. And I was trying to think through what would be a good way to kind of introduce this idea and develop it, because it can be a little bit hard when we think through mission, at least when I think through mission, I automatically think of the things to do and the locations that need to be gotten to and all of the process of how to put that together and Uh, Perhaps it's a confession, but the first place that I don't begin is prayer. So as I was trying to think through what what parallels might land this, uh, I thought back to when I was a teenager 
And in the house that I grew up in, many of you may have been there, um, at Jim and Leslie's house, there uh, my grandparents, uh, B and Bob Miller, purchased property at the very north end of the Severn, and it's at the top of a very large hill. It's about 100 to 150 feet tall, and it's particularly steep. And as you know, if you have a beautiful view over water, you want to be able to protect that and keep the trees from growing up and blocking it out. And so every once in a while, my dad would tie one of us, his children, to a rope and give us a chainsaw and kind of go, all right, have at it. Um, wasn't quite as dramatic as that, but you get kind of the idea. We'd lower ourselves down this hill. It wasn't too steep, but we'd have the safety line just in case. And then we'd have um, electric trimmers or a chainsaw or something. And we'd often be angled at precarious angles, holding these saws of doom and leaning into whatever was there on the hillside. And if you've ever done something like this, you know that in addition to just trying to keep yourself anchored, um, you've got this power cord that's really important. And if you're there, like me sometimes, sawing away at a particular thing and you're not paying particularly careful attention, it's easy to make it through the branch and then through the very cord which is powering the saw and then suddenly you find yourself perched on this hillside, awkwardly attached to the rope, stuck in the bushes uh, with no power. (laughs) And I think that's kind of the image that I wanted to start with us as we think through mission. Because if we're trying to accomplish this on our own, we're kind of done for. And if we do not have this direct and ongoing tie-in back to the Father who fuels us, who motivates us, who who empowers us, who, who gives us all of what we need because it is his mission that we are about rather than our own, well then sometimes we can find ourselves as ridiculous and as lost as some awkward teenager dangling on a hillside with a non-powered tool. Uh, The right person and the right mission still needs the right source. And so the first order of business, as Jesus considers, knowing who he is, and looking out at all the lost people, If you follow the stories, Jesus frequently, he'll travel, 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 get to a location, and the people know he's coming. So then they bring all the sick. They bring all the hopeless cases. And they line them up. And what does Jesus need? Well, he needs rest. But if you follow the the stories, he, he frequently sits up all night with people, healing, speaking, teaching, being present. And then by the time the morning comes, then there's all the more of a crowd gathered. And what's the next order of duty? But further teaching and further healing. And there's so much compassion when he he looks at all the people. His heart is broken for them because he recognizes that they have cut themselves off from God's life and they really are lost. They're harassed. They're helpless. To be honest, they're kind of a bit foolish, stuck on the hillside, unable to do the very things that they were made to do and called to do. And I think this is where we often find ourselves. Because I want you to notice, in our text, it's not just that Jesus is um, musing on these things himself, 
But he's speaking to the people. And he sees that they're helpless. And he identifies that for them. And then he directs them this next thing to do. Because, you see, though we ourselves are lost and harassed, what has God provided for us? But in Jesus Christ, he has come as the very shepherd that we have not been for ourselves. And he becomes the one who leads us back home, who ties us back into our source, who, like the branch cut off from the tree, then reattaches us to life once more so that we can then do more than just be lost. And so what is our call from this? Well, ultimately, it is to go and it is to give, but the first and most important thing, the thing that I myself personally can easily forget, is that the call is to pray. So what we're going to be considering a little bit this morning is why pray? Wouldn't do or go be the next best thing? Wouldn't that even kind of trump a little bit of what we're talking about when we talk to pray? Like, of course you'd pray as you go along. Like, this is, that's kind of a given, and yet, and yet this is the very place that Jesus starts because as he stands with his disciples and he looks at all the crowds and he says, this is a mess. He says, so brothers and sisters, pray. Come back to the source. So why does he say this? Well, look with me again at the text. The first reason is, we're not enough. This is a hard reason to face. Everything in our beings and in our souls would buck against this. We all might like to have received grace, but we do not want to continue to need grace. We want it to be once and done, and we'll take it from here. We're good. But look with me in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, and teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherds, without a shepherd. The state of the people is a pretty sad one. If you kind of flip this language around, then you recognize that you, know, you can see how these people are existing. They are the opposite of healed. They are broken and sick. They are diseased. They are afflicted. And then as it says explicitly, they're harassed and they're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd like an awkward teenage Drew on a hillside without the tools to get the job done. Um, you see, as we think about these things, it's almost comically sad. The very people of God who are called, as we understand our covenant theology, to be the conduit of God's blessing to the entire world, if anyone should have their act together, who should it be? It should be Israel. They're the ones who are supposed to be saying, I have walked with God. I have been given his word. We have been shown the way. And so this is what it looks like to be in the presence and in the blessing of God. And yet, what is their actual state? Well, it's something far less. And actually, rather than being comical, it's quite, quite tragic. If you look at the pathway that Matthew has led us as he's talking about who Jesus is and introducing us to him, 
Um, even just chapter 8 here is filled with a flurry of healings and of grace. But then, secondly, it's filled with confrontations with would-be shepherds who, upon meeting God himself coming, at the very least, from their understanding, this man is acting as a prophet. And what are they doing? Are they getting on board and advancing his cause and figuring out how they can follow and how they can learn and how they can develop and bring fruit? No, they're trying to shut him up and seal him away and silence him and trap him and actually undo the shepherds have turned out to be wolves. And then you consider the experiences. If you just page through what's been happening, again, we take this out of the abstract and put it into the reality. What's been experienced is awful skin diseases like leprosy. Uh, Jesus encounters people who are paralyzed, whether by just birth defect or injury in the course of life. He's working through cities and the social consequences of having a, his whole nation be under military occupation from an aggressive enemy. There are family members who are down and out and unable to participate. There's been actual possession by demons manifesting in all kinds of different ways. He's been encountering the socioeconomic divides of um, just all of what goes into culture where some are easily advanced over others. He's encountered various addictions, occultism, physical injury, social polarization and expulsion, quarreling and intentional division amongst the religious rulers, the death of children, blindness, and even religious oppression of the weak. I think we can all resonate with that list a little bit. When we consider life in the world around us, when we consider our own experiences in our own hearts. And so as Jesus is running down this list and as we get this summary statement of what his ministry has consisted of so far, this should be a deep mercy to us as we recognize, yes, I feel this. I'm seen by this. Because we're actually seen by the person of Jesus himself, by God himself made flesh. And I want to point out here, what is Jesus' response to these would-be shepherds? This people group who was designed to be a nation of priests, not just a nation with priests, but a nation of priests to the rest of the whole world. I mean, think about it. It could be all kinds of things. It could be anger. It could be fury. It could be despair. It could be just straight up wrath and obliteration of the whole system and the whole process. And yet, and yet what does he have? Rather, it says, he looked on them with compassion. You see, we are not enough in our own. 
And God's not surprised by this. He's got actually a very keen and clear understanding of it. So when he issues this call to prayer, I want you to see the first thing that this would mean for us is not, again, where I myself would have gone. But the first call in this prayer is to confess. For all those who've been part of this religious institution which has gotten it all wrong. For those who have used their wealth just for their own benefit and perhaps for the benefit of their family and perhaps even for the benefit of their neighbors, but maybe not for the benefit of the people in the next community over neighbors. And certainly not for the benefit of the people that they just don't really care for or have that too much in common with. And who have neglected the, the suffering and those who are on the outside and those who are traveling through or the sojourners who just got lost and kind of shipwrecked there and now don't have the means to get out or to move on. It means to lament looking around at the systems of injustice around us. That leave the weak and the poor to be weak and to be poor and sometimes even cruelly profit off of them. It means even to, as the Psalms would model for us, call out imprecations of justice against the wicked. So that when we're saying that the the first call here is prayer, this is not just a, a soft, gentle prayer, but this is a prayer that must encompass the full response of what is appropriate to this moment. And so when there is injustice, when there is evil, when there is oppression, then our prayers must model the cry out to answer this, that justice would fall, that the wicked would be crushed, that bad guys would lose, that good guys would be raised up, that the poor would be cried over, that hearts would be broken. And so when this call to pray comes, this is a call for confession and for lament. This is not a call to cover it over and just hope that it all goes away, to leave it behind without ever having to examine it. But in our prayers, we come before the Lord naming all of what has gone wrong and all of where we have gone wrong. And this is also important because our prayers as we cry out to God, well, grandparents, And parents, this is where you model for your children and your grandchildren and the rising generations what it means to name what is wrong. And even more importantly, what it means to stand facing it boldly in the darkness and to say, even though I stand in the valley of the shadow of death, I have to fear no evil because the Lord God, his rod and his staff will comfort me and he will stand with me and he will be true and he will protect and he will preserve because his story will not be undone and because his shepherding will not stop even when it's hard. And that's what gives them hope. And brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, this is how we model to the world around us as well. Though my particular good guys might not be in power at the moment, Though things might not be going the way that I want them to, though our friends and our family, well, maybe they won't receive the healing that we pray for. But nonetheless, my hope is not in my own immediate prosperity, but I can stand in the midst of oppression. I can stand in the midst of lostness. I can stand in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And even here, I don't have to fear evil, though I face it and name it and feel it. 
because I know that the Lord is my shepherd. And that even in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table before me. And even in the midst of oppression, he anoints my head with oil. And so I can say with confidence, even if I don't experience it now, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that leads us into our next point, because looking at these verses, though we are not enough, consider this from the perspective of the Father who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, because he knows the need, because he is the God who sees and the God who hears, and the God who knows. And there, his shepherd stands, looking out over all the lost, his people whom his heart has been breaking for for millennia. And now his shepherd has come. Look again with me. This same verses, but read them through these eyes. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages And consider, suddenly God himself has sent the right teacher. And he is teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he sees the crowds, he has compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Though it's not named explicitly, commentators agree that the passages that he's drawing off of come heavily from the book of Ezekiel which uh, Danielle read so wonderfully for us. If you look back at Ezekiel chapter 34, what we saw were the verses of God saying, I will enter in. But if you back up a little bit, there are reasons that God has had to enter in. Verse 1 of chapter 34 says, The word of Yahweh came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord Yahweh. All shepherds of Israel who have been feeding, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? If you skip down to verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and with harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. My sheep were scattered. The end of verse 6, my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search for them. Down to verse 10, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and I will put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer will the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. We are not enough. You are not enough. I certainly am not enough. But brothers and sisters... God has provided for us a shepherd who is. And that's what Danielle read for us. Verse 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Do you hear the passion of God the Father, the good shepherd whose children, whose sheep have been neglected and strayed and are wandering and are lost? This is whom God has prepared for us. And this is why we can pray. Because we have a shepherd. We are not left to be standing on our own. He is the one who can see, who can see the people. 
who sees what they are and what they need and then enters in. If you flip back to the beginning of Matthew, this is, this is amazing. Um, I, this is something new for me as I've been thinking and learning and considering this section. I've always struggled with the genealogies. Why in the worth world would these be included? They're so full of so many names. I only can recall half the stories that are being brought up as I read through. But when you again think this through the father's eyes who's been watching his people be neglected, who promised from the very beginning, one day, someone from your line, I will deliver. And then think through the joy of Matthew crafting this, who said, yeah, I'm going to take those covenant promises seriously. And then he said, yeah, there was Abraham and then Isaac and then his son, and then his son, and then his son. And it trailed through this way, and it wove through that way until he could trace through the entire history of his people and see father and son and father and son and father and son until finally, finally, the shepherd that they have all been waiting for. And brothers and sisters, this is Jesus. This is our lifeline. This is our connection back to the Father. This is the cord that can be plugged in so that we don't know, we no longer have to be just left on the hillside wondering, oh, well, now what? But so that we can stand knowing the identity of our Savior, seeing the trajectory of his call, and being able to tie ourselves back in again to the Father who has sent him and who sends us. He is our shepherd. And so when we consider that he is enough, once again, brothers and sisters, pray. What we mean in this is let your conversations with God the Father be filled with praise. Let them be filled with marveling. We should be doxologizing the goodness of God our Father. Um, just downstairs in the cove this morning is uh, working with uh, middle schoolers and the high schoolers through the book of Exodus. We're looking at how God has provided the temple, which is an easy thing to get lost in all the details and this and that. And th those are good things to get lost in. I'm not trying to belittle those. But the main point is the separation between the people lost and enslaved and separated for hundreds of years from God are now brought back into the very presence of Yahweh himself. The cherubim that were above the ark, well, the only other time that they'd been mentioned that far in the story is back in the book of Exodus as the very things which would guard the Garden of Eden. And so when we're given this tabernacle, when we're given the presence of God with the people, we have God breaking in to find the lost. We have him saying, I am not content with doors that are closed, but rather I would fling them open so that I might bring you back home to me. And so when we have this, Jesus Christ, the shepherd of the flock, we stand again in the presence of God. And so when I ask the students, what does this mean for us? One of them answered out pretty quickly, well, what doesn't this mean for us? And that's exactly how our response should be in our prayers before the Father. Because, brothers and sisters, you have Jesus Christ. You have the same person who is present atop the mountain with Moses. You have the same one who would fling wide the doors of Eden to bring you back home into his presence. And so pray in praise and celebration and marvel in awe. Lift high his identity. Sing the story that he answers because the world needs to hear. Because remember, was Eden only for the people of Israel? Nah. It was for the very Egyptians that would have enslaved them. It was for the Canaanites. 
who would keep them out of God's promises. It was for Babylon who would oppress them. It was for you and me and all the different far-flung nations of the world. And we need a shepherd. We need a savior. We need a king. And so finally, what I'll point us to from this text is that this act of prayer Well, this is actually what makes the sheep into shepherds ourselves. Because God does not call us just to then brainlessly, mindlessly, listlessly follow him, but to actively follow him, to engage all of who we are, all of our wealth, all of our societal influence, all of our familial influence, all of, I don't know, all of your everything, all of who you are, all of your mind, your body, your soul, your strength so that we might love the Lord our God and so that we might love our neighbors as ourselves. God's very commission to the sheep, the people that he created in the very beginning, was that they would fill the earth, that they would rule it and have dominion over it, that they would become stewards and even representatives of him, that we would be vice-regents, vice-kings, vice-shepherds of his people. And so, as we see in Matthew here, when he's speaking... He's speaking to the whole crowds and he's saying, what do the people need? Well, they need the shepherd. And so what is your first call? Your first call is to pray and to reconnect with him. And that then is what leads us forward into his mission and into his call. Um, I remember feeling this way when I was a kid. And while my kids are young, it's a weird challenge, but also a privilege in the ways that they're kind of afraid of the dark sometimes. They might not want to go down into the basement to go put something away or to go up to their bedrooms if there's nobody else around there. And I'll confess, I can be impatient because I'm like, it's just there. I'll be at the bottom of the stairs. Just go. I'm getting older and I'm tired of stairs. Just do this on your own. Um, But what they want is someone to hold their hand and to walk with them into the dark until they can hit the light switch. And So what do the sheep need? Well, they need a shepherd not just to meet them in the moment, though of course they do, but to lead them home and then to lead them to the next place to go. And so, brothers and sisters, as we follow God's call to be equipped ourselves and as we follow God's call to consider his mission to our neighbors and to our city and even to the ends of the earth, the first The first act of prayer also links us back to the Father so that we might hold his hand as we go about pursuing his business and as he works in our hearts. So thirdly, when we consider as he makes sheep into shepherds, the application of this again is pray. Because how else are we to anchor ourselves? How else but through prayer do we kneel before him as our king? Do we consider and reflect on his mission and his business and then align ourselves and our hearts to it? He makes sheep into shepherds. He takes us and he leads us forward. So brothers and sisters, pray. Long ago, there was a poet, a Frenchman, so forgive me for butchering his name, Um, 
Rene Rilke, uh, who wrote a book of poems called The Book of Hours. And he, considering God's call, wrote this poem that kind of reflects both the call, but then our response and what is asked for from us. And it's called, Go to the Limits of Your Longing. So I'll read it to you here. God speaks to each of us as he makes us and then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows that I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. When we consider this call to pray, Jesus' call to pray, Jesus' first response to seeing the brokenness, the wanderingness, If you look into a more literal translation of these things, it was the idea of sheep that are torn and abandoned by predators. Jesus' first response, again, is to encourage, to command prayer so that we might decry the evil that is out there, so that we might celebrate the one whom God has set before us and so that we might then hold our Father's hand as we enter into the mission that he has set us on. Because brothers and sisters, don't miss this. He has not just set us on this mission, he has set you on this mission. And he has set me on this mission. And are you to go about it as he has called? You must Reconnect to the Father because we are but lost. He has provided us a shepherd to steer us home. And so our call is first to pray and to reconnect with our shepherd. And then, as Rilke describes, do not let yourself lose him. But you sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing, embody him. Give me your hand and walk in the way. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that calling us, you then equip us. That Father, instructing us, you then draw alongside to re-enliven and to awaken. And Lord, even though in this call to pray we confess on our own we are but the lost sheep, you have given us a shepherd who gives us life again so that we might then pray, not of our own ability, but because of yours. Because once again, you are anxious to throw wide the gates of Eden that we might come back home to you So, Father, thank you for equipping us, and we pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us a clarity of vision to see, and that you would even give us the tongues to speak, the heart to cry out before you. Father, make us new. We see the evil, and we would leave it behind. 
that we might weep with the lost. We might shout out against oppression. But Lord, at the same time as we decry those who are not rightfully kings who would lift up their power, we might then turn towards your goodness and your power and your strength. And then in prayer, Lord, also then take you by the hand and walk forward into the call that you have set before us. Lord Jesus, you are our savior. Thank you also for being our shepherd. And teach us, teach us, God, to pray. Amen. 